You're listening to the Private Practice Workshop Podcast. I'm your host, John Clark, helping you build a better business without all the overwhelm. And in this episode, I'm sitting down with Tiffany McLean from HeyTiffany.com. Uh, she is a licensed therapist in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, San Francisco, uh, just like me. And uh, uh, she helps therapists with their money stuff. She helps them make more money um, and raise their fees and understand their worth. Um, yeah, she's done a lot of work around this stuff, and uh, I, I think it's really neat. She's got a really neat message for you. She's been on the show before, a long time ago, um, but she's back in this episode. We're talking all about money, fees. We're talking a lot, actually, about Black Lives Matter, um, about privilege, uh, talk about some of my experiences, some of my kind of internal and external work. We're talking about accessibility to services, fees as it relates to privilege, um, diversity, and uh, 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 access. We talk about sliding scale. Should you do it? Should you not do it? Uh, if so, how should you do it? We even talk about bartering. Um, it's a really, uh, it's a really fun conversation, an open-ended one, but uh, a lot for you to um, enjoy in this episode. Um, we have a free training for you right now. If you're interested in um, uh, learning how to get more clients consistently for your private practice, head to privatepracticeworkshop.com forward slash get clients. That's privatepracticeworkshop.com forward slash get clients, all one word. All right, without further ado, let's dive in. is back on the podcast with me after since for the first time since 2017 we saw in our skype history it's been a while it's been a long it's been time a while. it feels yeah. like a really under under doing it or not doing it justice to just ask <laughs> how have you been for like three and a three half years. years we actually were talking before for folks listening before we hit record we were catching up a little bit we've had a lot of changes a lot of changes yeah. Yeah. Not even, I mean, personally, and then also on top of it, COVID and fires now at, at the time of recording, yeah, we're, we're in California. And smoke fires. Out here in the Bay Area. Yeah. There's some crazy stuff happening. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah, it's really wild. I was thinking that on the way to work this morning, I was like, because I pulled out my N95 mask. Yeah. Um, because of the smoke and everything. I can feel it in my lungs too. I was like, man what a what a feeling of wearing a mask for two reasons now or like i look i was opening my closet and i'm like which mask should i wear today i'm like oh go <laughs> go with the freaking heavy duty one because of the smoke and i'm like what is life to, to, to now i have a closet full of masks and i'm like you know some days i'm like how about the purple one just you know just feeling, I, feeling funky <laughs> i forgot that i had actually i'm glad you reminded me we still have n95s from when this happened Whip was that last out. year two years ago yeah, yeah i gotta get that one back that's why i have it <laughs> yeah it's a little shaming to wear it though because now it's like with covid those are only for the nurses and i'm like no. i want to say but i've had this one for years it's probably <laughs> yeah, dirty and doesn't work anymore but i gotta wear it with the fires yeah, have a little disclaimer you know on your mask <laughs> this it, is like <laughs> This is previously used. Now, the first time I had my, I was wearing my N95, my brother-in-law, who's a doctor, was like, dude, why do you have that? And I was like, <gasps> for that, you know, for that same reason, I was like, bro, I had it from the fire like a long time ago. I promise I'm not hoarding N95s and selling them for a profit, which someone is doing for a lot of money right now. I'm Making sure. a lot of money. We could just write like 2000 
2017 or 2018 on our masks and we'll be okay. They'll understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, it's strange times. Um, well, what's, what's life been like for you kind of since, since COVID hit and uh, your practice and business and your work with therapists and everything? Yeah, a lot. I'm thinking about, I mean, even also, we didn't even add the Black Lives Matter movement rising up in the political situation, like all yeah. of, it's just like all these things hitting. And uh, I don't know how I feel about saying this. I have a, a very good friend, therapist, and she keeps saying, oh, 2020, oh. And I feel like, man, 2020 has been also very cool for yeah. me. Yeah. It's, it's, I think being able to see how I can step up at this time and not be knocked off by all the things that are happening. And in fact, it motivates me to say, ah, yeah, like what can be done? How, how can we remain powerful even at a time like this? That's been empowering for me personally, actually. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I was, I saw someone wearing one of those shirts that was like 2020 would not recommend or something. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I don't know if that really does it justice. First of all, I'm grateful to be alive yes, and knock on yeah. wood and not right. have died of COVID, um, yeah. just to put that out there. And I think um, with Black Lives Matter, um, I think my fear is that um, people that were really jazzed about it uh, start to lose their attention toward it. Sure, of course. Um, or even therapists. Um we have started to do um, basically anti-racism training in my mastermind groups. Um, Great. So we have a facilitator coming in doing these trainings and we're making adjustments to our businesses and basically looking at how, what we're doing or more, more like not doing. Um, and yeah, so I've, I've, you know, recognized some major holes in my game um, around this and I'm hoping to put together a more sustaining plan uh, and actually something I was interested to talk to you about is, uh, is around accessibility and fees, because a lot yeah. of what we talked about with this facilitator is a lot of how um, racism is perpetuated is not only where our office is, meaning mm -hmm. a lot of times in, you know, a segregated community or in a, you know, gentrified uh, community that's, um, uh, that, that basically just encourages a homogenous kind of caseload as well as insurance versus not insurance dilemma, right? Mm -hmm. And how a lot of mm -hmm. that, that sets us a, a real bar around our services. So um, that's had me thinking a lot about accessibility services. This is so interesting because, you know, um, that is not, I do not preach accessibility to services. So for folks who can't see us, we have John. I think you're a white dude. I don't know what your ethnicity Pretty sure. is. Pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, that's what I can see. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, a black woman, biracial, white and black. Um, and I really, for me, I've been talking to therapists a lot about uh, advocating actually for therapists to charge more. And uh, I, I, I always have a couple of white dudes, cis white dudes in my program. Um, and sometimes I'm like, oh, are you guys okay in here? But you'll, you'll, you'll do okay. I really speak to women, women of color, people who come from blue collar, working class backgrounds. Yeah. And my thing is, um, we got to get rid of this myth of I got to make myself accessible as a therapist, as a way to give back. I, I don't buy that. Uh, I think that's been a way that women uh, and minorities have been kept down for generations and generations, which is, okay, you finally have education. You spent tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on your uh, 
to get to this point, and mm -hmm. now you're being told, and now you have to stay accessible discount to your people. Services. Who, yeah, yeah, discount your services. What you're doing is not valuable, yeah. or it is, but you're not the kind of person who deserves to make money. Leave that to the doctors or the Mark Zuckerbergs. Yeah. You got to give back. And I'm like, fuck that. Yeah. So that's where I stand on. So how do you balance that with, because um, what I realized, you know, and even we're both in the Bay Area, when I first moved yeah. out here, I worked yes. for big nonprofit called Seneca. I worked in- I did too. Oh, really? Wow. Oh my gosh. Yes. So I was, I was yeah. um, like a wraparound coordinator and I worked a lot mm -hmm. in Bayview Hunters Point, which is um, yes. not a very white place. It's a very yeah. marginalized place, a very dangerous place. So I worked with teenagers in juvenile justice. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I, what I was thinking at that time was I was brand new. I was you know, like the least prepared to do this, the least experienced clinician working with clients with some of the heaviest hitting issues and systemic issues. And then in my cushy private practice in Pack Heights at night, mm. you know, um, seeing people that have their basic needs met and can pay, you know, whatever, right? They're like for yes. a lot of folks, especially in the Bay Area, it's like they have amazing salaries and amazing benefits. Um, so, yeah, I just don't know how to ba you know balance all that. And at the time, I had a lot of dissonance around the existing in both of those worlds and feeling like, um, and actually some of my clients then, I was like, you guys need the experienced therapist in Pack Heights who's like, you know, yeah. been doing it for 25 years, right? Because I was yes. so new. The way that I've made sense of it, and maybe you can, you know, reflect, react to this is um, the more I built my practice up, I basically created a very intentional, like full caseload, um, like with my numbers. And then I've always had a portion that's either sliding scale or free pro bono. And mm -hmm. actually brought some of those Seneca kids into my practice. Oh, and I continue yeah. to do stuff like that, but it's intentional, right? And I'm not, yes, yes. I kind of have, I'm hitting my bottom line for the practice and those who can pay the full fee, pay the full fee. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Um, it does make sense. Yeah. That's something we, we talk about therapists, I think this is a multifold issue. Therapists often say I'm on insurance or I slide my scale because it's important for me to give back or I know I need to give back. And I think m much of the time that's not true. I think they're sliding the scale or on insurance because they don't know how to market and they don't understand the value of what they're doing and they're afraid yeah, and they guilty and ashamed. They want to their services to yeah. get more people in the door. Yeah. Yes. And so we got to be real and honest about that first. Or they slide for people who have money and yes. they, they just don't yes. want to pay your full fee. <laughs> That's right. They don't even ask. It's like, Oh, what can you, uh, 150, yeah. but I'll pay, you know, whatever you want. It's yeah. a common can you thing. Do that 145 we do. just cut, you know, <laughs> just so I feel like I'm getting a better deal. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and also there's so many times I hear therapists in our program, uh, the client doesn't even ask necessarily for a sliding scale. The therapist is offering it before oh, yeah, they can even, right you know, <laughs> what are you doing? So yeah. I, I actually, I think, so that's number one. Number two, um, we've been told that giving back by virtue of our private practice is kind of the only way to give back. I think it's awesome to build up your practice, make sure you're taken care of for the long haul and then take on some sliding scale pro bono folks. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that's complicated and I don't know how often therapists are, are thinking about what it means to be the nice white savior man or the nice privileged biracial woman who happened to get into this great position, who's taking you on as a charity case. That is complicated. Mm -hmm. And if it's not being addressed ongoingly in the, in the therapy practice, I think that's a problem. Mm -hmm. So what do you feel like the, the answer is, I guess, in, yeah. or the, uh, I mean, is, is it, 
do you feel like it's just two different worlds in terms of like the, um, again, the folks mm-hmm. at Seneca and then the folks in their Pack Heights private practice? What a great question. Working with tech workers with privilege or at least financial privilege, yeah. we could say. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think it's because of my background or being a black woman, I have no conflict around this. Um, uh, yeah. My business is my business and my giving back is my giving back. Yeah. Now, do I think it's important for people uh, who've never had access to the kind of therapy I do to have access to it? Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Right. And I know that as one person who's trying to make it funny, I'm about to be 40 and I'm like, oh, just now coming into a world where I'm like, oh, retirement. Oh, there's never, we have generations of poverty in my family. Yeah. I got to get my shit together for generations to come. Yeah. Um, I'm not the person who has it. And yet I'm looking, I'm excited to get there. Um, I think there are a lot of people who have generational wealth who are just squandering it or doing whatever they want with it, who could be helping those people in the Bayview. So I, I'm like, what work can I do to have the people who really have the money fucking step up and take action? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 and I, I want to be clear. I actually think, um, I don't think it's a problem for people to take on pro bono or sliding scale. I think that's a great way to actually create access. And I think it needs to be a constant conversation around what does it mean for this person? Let's say I have a a 16 year old black uh, foster kid who I'm now their therapist is a a white 40 year old woman. Let's say that has to be a conversation. I can't just be doing my good charity work and feel good about myself and not be talking about even the man, what the fuck is happening with that? Mm -hmm. That's a complicated dynamic, honestly. Yeah, I mean, you talked about your own, uh, basically your own identity, your own background. There's no doubt that, uh, you know, white guilt for me yes. yeah, um, sure. is, a, is a factor, right? Yeah. Or uh, especially when I, I get a fair amount of, I get feedback, I get pressure from, from time to time around like basically what are you doing, you know, with your, <laughs> with your white ah, privilege, yeah, um, yeah. you know, especially in the private practice workshop stuff and the working with therapists. And, and so um, there's certainly some part of that too around both um, having that social, that, that social justice background, that social work background at Seneca and basically mm-hmm. just doing case management, working in the system, yes. um, which was, uh, completely eye-opening and gut-wrenching work and important work. Um, and, you know, again, it would just be very easy to just have a very uh, white homogenous practice, or even in this kit, you know, I have to have a caseload with racial and ethnic diversity that is still people of high SES, right? Yes. Who can yeah. afford the services because their tech company is paying them yeah. a shitload of money and has great benefits, which I'm just thinking out loud here. Is that enough, right? Mm-hmm. Is, this is, I, I, yeah, is that I a white think, therapist doing enough? Um, it comes back to, I mean, you're somebody who has a lot of impact. You have this podcast, yeah. um, you have your um, uh, consulting business. And so I also think about the ways to give back. Even you talk, talking about the ways you're starting to incorporate, oh shit, racial justice work into my own business with my own company. The ways you can start being intentional about the platform you have. And um, I think there's no one white man can do enough at a time like this. So you're going to have the feeling of it's never enough for a long time, forever. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think it's an appropriate, I think it's an appropriate um, feeling Feeling. to have in an ongoing Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, I think there's, well, the other big question too, or, you know, again, that you and I are both in the Bay Area and 
probably have a handful of tech people in your caseload, as do I, right? As that's kind of who lives here um, yeah. as a sweeping generalization. There's also big issues around tech lacking diversity and especially tech yes. leadership lacking diversity. Yeah. You know, my wife is basically leading learning and development at uh, Cash App. And she used to work at Facebook and do Women's Leadership Day. Um, they had a whole Latin American division of Facebook. Um, she's done a lot of that work as well, but it's still, um, it's still a very skewed industry, especially when you look at leadership in, in tech, tech companies for both women as a starting point and not to mention people of color uh, or yeah. women of color, right? Um, or um, yeah. Definitely. I think about something. It's interesting when I think about my professional trajectory, I um, thought I'm never going to work for anyone because I don't ever believe anyone's going to see me, someone like me, and think that I'm smart or capable. I'm goofy and I'm funny and oh, she's so hip. You know, I'm, I joke a lot. Um, but I don't trust that the folks who are in power, I guess we're talking about white folks, um, would see me and say, wow, she's confident and capable. So for me, it's like, I'm going to go make my own seven-figure company. Uh, I'm going to take care of my own wealth because I don't think anyone's going to give me anything. Um, and I, I've been struck as I have looked at the tech situation in San Francisco. I actually, um, when I was marketing, I don't market my practice anymore, but when I was, it was geared towards people of color and tech. And so I started writing about, reading yeah, about, getting to know that, that those folks. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that struck me and that I heard over and over again is how women get in, women of color, black men get into the tech industry and then they get out because it's so hostile and so, you know, you see another mm. black man shot and then you go into your office and everybody's like, mm, what's on TV? It's just awful. And so for me, I'm thinking, oh, the, the, I don't know. I don't even know how the tech industry, this white San Francisco mm -hmm. tech industry could increase its diversity. I think, you know, people of color, queer folks, we got to make our own money and create our own companies yeah. and start serving each other and stop going to these uh, white tech companies to, to get our needs met. Well, the other risk is that, you know, the first person of color to join a team is all of a sudden the token Absolutely. person of color. Yes. And they're also the person to then lead the diversity trainings and lead the, that's right. you know what I mean, discussions around Black that's Lives right. Matter. And that's a part of the problem as well. It's a tremendous right. part of white supremacy, basically, is yeah. putting it back on people of color to, yeah. <laughs> to be the change, to be the voice, to shoulder the burden, you know, of even just the conversations, right? Or of, hey, show teach the white people at work how to not be racist. That's great. That's great. It's like, oh man, I don't want that. Like, I just want to go to work and do good work. And yeah. that's an impossibility in these, in these um, environments. You know, we, when we were working with this, uh, this consultant, you know, part of what she showed us in this diagram of basically white supremacy is asking people of color to kind of like pick your brain about X, Y, and Z, or basically asking them for, you know, them to do a free diversity training for you or whatever it is and how problematic that is, right? Yeah. Um, not to mention on a larger scale, asking anyone to kind of pick your brain and not valuing their time yeah. at all, right? It's yes. like any therapist that messaged, you know, therapist messaged me on Facebook last week and was like, hey, I heard you lived in Europe. Can you, can I pick your brain about how to run a practice from Europe? And it's like, you certainly can for an exorbitant fee, you know? <laughs> Right. But that That's picking right. your brain is really, uh, um, it's problematic and it devalues people's experience and value, I guess. That's right on. That's really interesting. I think especially for therapists, because we are, we have been taught to devalue our services and 100%. our supervisors, our therapists, 
if they find out with therapists, they say, oh, well, do you need a sliding scale? Or, you know, you're just getting started. Can I give you a, a deal? And it's like, that's not modeling the professional success and uh, professional value we want to be modeling. And it's, it's um, I don't know if the yeah. word is endemic. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Words. Anyway, it's pervasive in our <laughs> field. Them. It's pervasive Yeah, who needs for sure. them? For the birds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. There was something. So, uh, go yeah, go it. ahead. No, I was going to say there was something you were saying about. Uh, um, I I still don't think. Ah, I'm losing it. We'll come back. It'll come back around. Okay. Um. So. I, I and we've we've maybe even talked about this last time you were on the show a long time ago, but um, when it comes to discounting our services at all or sliding our fee at all, even the language matters. Um, yeah. On one hand yeah, we're one of the few service-based businesses that does it, right? My lawyer doesn't give me a good, right. you know, a better cut just out of the kindness of his heart. Yeah. <laughs> Neither yeah. does my chiropractor. Neither would right. I ask him, do I ask him to? Yes. Um, but for therapists, uh, part of why we do it is because of, I think, kind of the core ethics of our field um, taking into consideration equality and social justice. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess how do you, how do you make sense of that? Do you feel like the, the kind of roots of our industry or even uh, social work um, is is that a reason to continue to slide our fees to make them more accessible to to all people? One of the ways I think about this, uh, uh, therapists who start their own practices and they're it's a solo practice, it's just them, often come from like you and I agencies or nonprofits. And where we see a lot of, oh, we're, we're able to serve marginalized folks here. And then they go on and say, I'm going to do that in my practice too, without the realization or without paying attention to the business realities of that. Like that nonprofit, that um, agency is getting a lot of money from the government, from donors. There's a lot of money behind it. And then solo practitioners go in and have the feeling that I need to be doing the same as a single person. And number one, you can't, you can't do the same and keep your business going. So if you want to do that, go back to the nonprofit. Uh, a private practice is for a particular reason that isn't the same, it doesn't have the same goal or the same resources to do what a nonprofit mm-hmm. or agency does. I think that's really important to think about. Uh, but a private ahead. practice does have more privilege than an agency. How so? That, so? Largely in that you are working with people that have means, either private insurance or cash to pay, Mm-hmm. You're sitting in usually in an office, a cozy office, a lot of times in a safe neighborhood. Yeah. Um, practicing exactly how you want to practice with minimal um, bureaucracy. So yeah. to me, there's privilege in being able to to do private practice. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and that's the part of me that feels like uh, one of many reasons to have a sliding scale or pro bono portion of one's practice. It depends on the, I also think about this again, I agree with you if that's what a therapist wants to do. I think many therapists are not acting out of this is what I want to do. I think most therapists are not taking care of themselves. So they're struggling, yeah, I would agree. seeing too many people and then doing sliding scale on top of it. Yeah. If a therapist is flush, their student loans are paid off, they got retirement um, or they have a partner who's wealthy. I have a, my partner's in tech too. He's not wealthy by any means, but he's in <laughs> tech. And so, so that's a certain, a certainly amount of security. I have insurance through him. That's a privilege for sure. Uh, yeah. So if there are therapists who are taken care of um, or have dual income, then by all means, 
if you want to give back in your practice, do so. And I also think one, uh, who's advocating for the therapist? Many of us are also from those marginalized communities. And now we're in a place where we can give back Two, what would it be like to see 15 of these wealthy people in your private practice? And then you have, so you're working about 20 hours a week, all said and done. And then you have another 10 or 20 hours a week consistently that you could be engaged in politics. Uh, actually creating systemic change in a consistent, sustainable way. That's not, I'm seeing two people in my practice and I feel good about myself, but you're actually using your power and your platform Mm -hmm. to really make change in a big way. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's, that's really, that really makes a lot of sense. What about even um, uh, just like giving financially? Sure. What about it? What do you think? How do you think about it? I I think it's a great way to, Ex, I guess exercise some of that privilege. And again, I'm, I'm, you know, the white dude with all the privilege in the world and have always had it. So, um, yeah, I think it's a way to do it. I think also, you know, selfishly, I, I want to see the fruits of my labor, right. I want to feel like I'm doing good. Right. And see, uh, where, yeah, I want to see how I'm creating change, both in my client's life, in my, um, in, in my work, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, I mean, you're, you're opening my mind to the many different ways of affecting change or of still, um, leveraging that yeah. equality piece basically beyond just let me slide my fees just cause I feel like I should, or just cause other therapists told me I should. Yeah. You, and you're also bringing up the, the part, the very important fact that we like being therapists. So if we can give back by working with a different population and we have the financial means to do so, ah, the work is thrilling. And we also can't pretend it's just for them. That's for us too. Wow, we get to work with this different population. That feels good. So we got to acknowledge and be honest about giving back and being able to see I'm helping this person feels good. And again, coming back to the addressing that in the room, I think is important because that client, that you know, 20-year-old black woman, she's going to feel... So here's a story. I was When I was working at Seneca, you'll like this. Um, I, I started by working in the what, what was that level 14 locked facility? I started there. Oh, mm-hmm. and then I moved yep. to wrap around that place closed. And there was a, a young woman, well, she was a teenager, so a black girl. And one of my colleagues, white colleagues said, Oh, my aunt works in real estate. Um, you, and I was like, Oh my gosh, what a cool thing to take this young woman I'm working with this teenager and show her what she could be. Cause she said, I want to be in real estate. So I asked mm-hmm. around, I said, who's in real estate? This colleague said, my aunt, so I said, all right. And I set up an appointment with this aunt who was in Marin. I'm going to show this teenager Marin real estate. This is going to be amazing. How naive I was. I was so young. I hadn't been in the world myself. <laughs> so we, we show up with this woman and she's very kind to us. White woman, older, 60s, I don't know, mm-hmm. Marin. Um, I was new to the Bay Area, so I did not know what I was getting into. So we go look at these multi-million dollar homes. And yeah. I'm like, wow. And we walk in and she's taking me and this young woman I'm working with. And she introduces us to her friends. Oh, you know, this is Tiffany. This yeah. is so-and-so. Um, they're just touring. And I suddenly realized, holy shit, we're charity cases. And all the women come out and they're looking at us and they're like, oh, to the woman, the real estate agent showing us around. Oh, you're so, look, at, they said something like, um, 
something basically congratulating her for being such yeah. a wow look at you yeah, showing these and i realized yeah. yeah not only me not only my my seneca client but also me we were like black charity cases for these women and they were so oh, julia you're so, i don't know what her name was you're so look at you you're so giving and i was like holy shit this feels awful and my client shrunk down I shrunk down and I'm like, this is the worst situation I could have ever put my client in, myself too. And it, she never talked about real estate again. I think it showed her what she couldn't have access to. And I, and I think when we're mm. taking on a client at a sliding scale and feeling good about ourselves and not addressing what's it like for you that I'm ta- I have the wealth and the means to take you on for free. And I have, the society has supported me and not you. And, and I feel good about it. That has to be a conversation in therapy. Otherwise you're reinforcing this racist system of me coming in and being the privileged savior. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're going to be talking about this today, John. Whoops. <laughs> Good <laughs> thing know. you're ready. <laughs> I know I'm ready. It's complicated. And I think most therapists slide their scale without taking on the reality of what they're perpetuating. hundred percent. I think you're right. And I think, um, I just think, and you know, again, even the past few months, and with Black Lives Matter, I think a lot of therapists, beyond like changing their Facebook profile picture for a day or saying yeah, I'm not racist, right. <laughs> you know, and then moving on, yeah. really struggle to figure out what's next or what yeah. do I do next or how do I continue this work, and I'm afraid of fucking it up and I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. Yeah. So a lot of therapists stay quiet, and they also yeah. assume, you know they assume that their clients assume they're not racist, which is, I think, a dangerous assumption or that they're not X, Y, and Z or that they don't discriminate on anything, right? Or, um, you know, an LGBT client um, uh, hoping that uh, you're not going to try to convert them, you know, or turn them straight. But in fact, many therapists out there will try, right? And that's their stance. So I think it's interesting that we, even as therapists, sometimes we assume benevolence with each other. We assume that you're not going to like do harm or discriminate on clients based on any identifier. And yet I don't think it's that clear. You know what I mean? And I think right now a lot of people are looking to draw that line or even you look, I think, you know, all these big companies, it's almost laughable, like Coca-Cola being like, by the way, we're anti-racist. It's like, (laughs) yeah. Are you, you know, is your PR team just saying, do this, you know, so that you are safe. Yeah. Right. It's like, well, we're anti-racist right now, but what about the rest of the year or the rest of, you know, the business, I guess. That's right. Next month. What does our staff look like? What are, what are, what, what does the makeup of our board look like? Our CEOs. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So I think we can't assume, you know, um, okay. Let me ask you, this is, this is a, I guess this this is in the realm of privilege and fees. Um, and I had a, a therapist in one of my programs who she actually brought this up, not as a like, hey, what do you guys think of this? But as a, like, hey, this is something I'm doing, by the way. And it had a lot of heads turning. She said, basically, um, I have a client. She's really motivated. She's a good therapy client. Um, she uh, basically can't afford my fee. And so I put it back in her and I said, well, what could you, you know, what could you offer? And she said, I could cook you dinner. Mm-hmm. I could bring you dinner every Tuesday for a session. <laughs> and so that's what she does now. She cooks dinner for the therapist and brings it. And the therapist it, 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 is the person a client of color? Do you know? 
Can you say, I, I don't know if you can say, can you imagine though? I, I mean, I'm like, can you imagine if it was a white therapist and the black woman was cooking her dinner every week and that was her method of payment? Ooh, complicated. Yeah. And I don't know. So I don't know. And it, it's all, it depends on the, I don't know anything about that clinical relationship. There could be all kinds of reasons. That's a really beautiful exchange. I don't know. I don't know um, I was hoping you would again. Know. It's, it's <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, because because we're we're coming. We've been talking about race today, and uh, um, the privilege. My mind goes to like, oh my gosh, what's that dynamic about? And there could be all kinds of lenses from which to look at it, which could actually be really nice. I don't know enough about it to know, uh, but it's yeah. I don't know either, right? But it's uh, uh it's a um. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many angles to take with it, right? And some therapists, right. again, their heads kind of turn like, oof. That doesn't sound great. And then other therapists, like, I, that could be kind of a beautiful thing, depending on a hundred factors, the relationship, yes. the power, you know, the equality, yeah, the, the, the equity power. between the That's therapist right. and client. That's what kind right. of food is it, right? Is it like, right. does it have to be whole foods, you know, organic? <laughs> That's right. That's why I was like, what if I, I, I don't eat meat. Are you going to, now I'm going to dictate what I want my menu to be. Yeah. You know, so yeah. here's something that this is the thing that keeps coming to my mind and going away. I, you know, I'm big on money as a resource that can be leveraged. So I, you know, I think about why it's important that a client pays a therapist money as opposed to making a meal or doing your mm-hmm. laundry or watching your, you know, where, where, where yeah. does it stop? Yep. Um, I think money is a, a, a very important symbolic exchange. Um, and there's a woman I'm, I was listening to a, a podcast today, Rachel Rogers, who I love. Uh, she's really about helping uh, black women, women of color, make build million dollar businesses mm-hmm. she talks a lot about racial equality racial justice um uh queer folks too not just people mm-hmm. of color and she was in- interviewing a woman today emma patty who i've heard on other shows emma's a white woman grew up real poor but in her 20s made a lot of money millions in real estate and she's emma's just now getting to be thinking about race and um realizing holy she's a white woman holy mackerel i've been out i've been out of touch and she talks about one of the ways that uh, um, power is perpetuated in one in the hands of some and not the other is through simply um, uh, information and, re- and, and understanding how to use money. Uh, and she said, you know, for example, we could say, let's give a sliding scale to a client, or we can ask business owners who've learned to build powerful businesses, six-figure businesses as therapists, we can then go into communities of color and teach. Here's how you open a checking account. Here's how you get get in the stock market. Here's how you pay off debt. Let me actually connect you to my lawyer friend because I've had access to wealth for generations. And I know lawyers and bankers and people in the tech industry. Let me get you mentors. Let Mm -hmm. me actually get you hooked up to this network of wealth that I, I, Tiffany, am not in this network of wealth. And I'm like, how do I get in there? I'm going to call this woman and be like, Emma, I'm black. Get me hooked up into your network of wealth. But I think this is a thing that a lot of white people don't pay attention to, even if you're middle class. That's awesome. You probably have a network of uncles, aunts, cousins, people you know who are in positions of wealth and privilege. How amazing if you actually actually start getting your hands dirty. And I use that intentionally because I can imagine you saying, I don't want to introduce this black person who I don't know very well from the projects to my uncle. That feels too personal. Well, fucking get uncomfortable. Start making these introductions and start uh, putting your money where your mouth is and putting yourself on the line and making Mm -hmm. introductions and getting people of color queer folks who haven't had access into these kind of circles. That's Mm -hmm. how white people can make a difference. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's huge. Get off my my high horse. (laughs) No, stay on it. (laughs) I'm all about it. The funny, it's 
financial literacy or whatever you want to call it is huge, right? Yes. And it's, yes. yeah, it's even going back to working with some of the Seneca kids, it yeah. would be a big deal to just get them a checking account and go, dude, this is what, this is how a hundred dollars in your savings account will grow. Um, let's, let, let's oh, get excited. About how hundred dollars is going to decline because savings accounts are awful. The, I'm learning <laughs> yeah, about this. The, the interest rate is awful. But if you teach someone how to, you know, I don't know, I'm investing. I don't know enough about it to say, but can I, I imagine like if someone told me at 20 to put a hundred dollars a month into a, um, some kind of stocks, S and P 500, that's a, that would have been a, a life changing for me. Yeah. 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 I think it's a tremendous, uh, um, gap in preparing just people yeah. at large to live life and become adults. It wasn't until I was, um, man, even when I lived out here, I was not really s- saving anything because I was just yeah. bleeding money trying to get by working at Seneca <laughs> and yes, driving yeah. Uber and Lyft. And, you know, I, actually I was living in Oakland. Um, uh, so I couldn't afford to live in the city for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, but it really wasn't until I just started learning on my own how to manage money once I was making a little bit more, right? Or even when I was just barely making enough, I could have been doing a lot with it. I could have started a retirement account. I could have learned about a 401k, could learn about mutual funds. Um, And I just didn't for whatever reason. Um, And that's that's pretty dangerous, right? Because you can also, you can be a therapist who's just absolutely crushing it and making all sorts of money and in a shitload of debt and yes. still paying off student loans, you know, 20 years after you graduated. I see that all the time. Uh, I also see not to pick on you guys, but group practice owners and they fill out the form to work with us. And we ask for two numbers, gross revenue and net profit. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times mm. I see gross revenue, half a million, 1.5 million net profit, 30k right whatever it is or i haven't paid myself yet i hear that a lot yeah i'm afraid to pay myself i'm afraid you know of taking money out of the business right i hear that a lot too man it's intense and you know i want to highlight this so like i said i'm biracial i grew up primarily my dad my mom and dad and then a lot of white siblings half siblings my mom was married before she married my dad uh, who who you know super conservative religion religious not not a lot of access to education or wealth at all. And so when I talk about people of color, and this is why I, I say um, people from working class backgrounds or blue collar backgrounds, and I don't know about you, my sense is, John, you did not grow up with access to a lot of wealth and privilege in that way. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciate that you acknowledge your white privilege and your cis male privilege. And I want to make room for a lot of white folks who grew up without money. You're not like you magically because you're white, you don't magically get access to all of these resources. There's a particular kind of person who's held uh, wealth for generations. And a lot of folks, regardless of your racial background, have no understanding or access to this just as much as I don't have. I did not have access Mm -hmm. or understanding to this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this part is huge. And this is something I've talked about in the show before, but being from uh, Virginia, I, for, for almost yeah, 15, 15, 16 years. I worked every summer for a company called Appalachia Service Project, basically helping people in poverty in the Appalachian region. And the amount of um, the, the poverty and the degree of it is is staggering in yeah. those regions of the country. And it's different from urban poverty because you just don't see it. It's tucked deep in the hills, but you have 
homes with dirt floors. You have people using outhouses. You have kids yeah. with uh, no shoes or skipping meals, you know, for, for days at a time. Um, and it's just kind of tucked away and it's <laughs> basically white rural poverty. Um, and it's extreme. It's really intense um, to see. And it's a part of the U.S. that most people won't see because it's really yeah. deep in there. And uh, as a sweeping generalization, it's a very conservative part of the country. There's a lot of conservatism. There's a lot of racism. There's mm. a lot of Confederate flags, you know, being being flown in that part of the country. Um, in addition to the lack of access to resources, the coal mining being the main source of uh, industry for a lot of these areas. It's really a complex kind of part of the country that most people don't talk about or, or ever look at. I think this is one of the, um, I have gotten more in touch with my black side. And when my white friends started calling me around the protest and saying, Oh, I'm racist. and I never knew it. And I'm like, I don't want to have that conversation with you. <laughs> a. But for a long time, that was a conversation I was willing to have because I'm, I truly, I, I'm both, I'm both truly black and white. And so I think it's easy yeah. to, split and say all oh, white those white racists in the Appalachian mountains are terrible people and for me I'm like they have no access to education they also have no access to resources or power uh, they don't know enough to know they're racist as a way to survive you know yeah. I, I can't just blanketly blame them and say they're racist right. and they're out I don't I can't do it it's not who I am I think um life is more complex than that yeah and so when we talk about fighting for equality we're talking about white folks too it's about money and class and these when yeah. it comes down to it so i did this thing in um uh, uh some years ago called uh, intergroup dialogue have you heard about this <clears throat> it's based on um a contact theory a content hypothesis which basically says we hate or we discriminate because of a lack of contact with people that are unlike us right yeah simple so what's the treatment for that? Well, it's basically to confront your biases, confront your racism, your homophobia with people um, uh, that, you know, have those identifiers basically. So um, it was one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever done in my life, but to sit down and go here to, to a black person and go here are all the ways I'm racist, right? Or, um, and to voice those biases, right? Yeah. Um, wow. And to have them do the same. Yeah. With me as well in a yeah. facilitated almost group therapy environment. Holy so anyway, mackerel. so I did this program and um, <laughs> by no means did it fix me. By no means did I, am I just like clean after that? It's just, you know, it was a, a, a big emotional experience in the start of, you know, mm -hmm. me looking at myself in my background. But you think about, again, people, um, who haven't had contact with people that are not like them, it, they're not going to, they're going to be more inclined to have biases, to discriminate, to have right blind spots. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that has a lot to do with it as well in terms of people's discomfort. Um, you know, my, my, my wife is Latina, but benefits from white privilege. Um, so she can pass as white uh, basically. Um, and that's always been an interesting dynamic as well, right? Because I've actually had people even not that long ago uh, say a really racist thing uh, uh, to me toward Latinas, uh, wow. Latinos and uh, not knowing, <laughs> just assuming that my wife, my wife is white or my, that my child is white for that matter, wow. which yeah. she's not. Um, so it's just interesting, right? I always think like, first of all, would you 
say that to a Latino person's face. Um, or if you had lifelong contact with a person of X, Y, and Z, would you still say the same thing? It's really interesting because even as you say that, I'm like, someone said that to you? I'm continually shocked by, I know it happens. Of course it does. And I'm continually shocked by the conversations that folks have with each other uh, who they maybe don't know well and the assumptions they're making about that person's life and what's okay yeah. to say. It's shocking. It's shocking be, and it's, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say my, my partner's white and my son is white presenting. It'll be really interesting to raise him because I'm like, I see him and I'm like, he's black. No one else nobody else is going to ever think that when they see him, at least at this stage of his life. And I'm thinking, what is he going to have access to in terms of what assumptions people are going to make about him? Yeah. Uh, how they're going to treat him when they, when, when his family's black, his mom is black, his grandpa's black, his aunts and uncles. So uh, I'll be very clear with him of you come from a long line of strong black men and women yeah. and no one will ever see him that way. And thinking about when I'm walking around with him, how many people think, oh, that's the nanny. You know, just thinking about all these dynamics yeah. are things that I can never go through the world and, and not be thinking about. And it's going to be the same for him, even though he'll be white presenting. It's really interesting to start thinking about um, what impact he can have with that privilege in terms of being privy to these conversations that someone like me will never be privy to. And the, and the mm -hmm. chance he'll have to make an impact or a difference in those kinds of conversations. Yeah. No, it's huge. Yeah. Crazy stuff. We went from the apocalypse to race to class. This is an intense conversation. I, yeah, I want, I know. I, you and Laura Long were like, talk about bourbon. I want to talk about that. Oh, this is what happens anymore. when we have no script. <laughs> I know. It's been good though. It's been helpful. It's been bringing a lot of things to my mind that I, I'm not talking about to too many people these days. I'm all alone. I don't talk to people anymore. I, I, I hear you. <laughs> we're only like a mile and a half apart, but yeah, all alone. <laughs> That's true. You might see me on the street, but I'll be wearing five masks. We'll be wearing so you masks might not recognize me. Glasses. I think I actually yeah. passed a friend a few months ago who I've known for years, and I didn't realize we passed each other. I'm like, wait, was that yeah. his name is Pony? Was that Pony? I have no idea. And that that just happened. Oh, in yeah. the, and we ships in the night. Well, I was driving day. through Oakland not long ago, and I saw a dude that I know from like 50 yards away, <laughs> and just seeing his like silhouette, I was like, I was like, that's Tyler. My wife was like, what? what the hell's wrong with you? How do you know that's Tyler? Let me get a little closer. I'm like, told you it's Tyler. We roll down the window. Meanwhile, the other day I was walking through the Castro and I look on the other side of the sidewalk and I'm like, I think that's David. And I do that. I'm so nervous to say it. So I go, yes. David, David, you know, and he doesn't look and I'm like, oh fuck. So then I do it a little louder. David, you know, and he like looks and I still don't know if it's him because I haven't seen him masked up before. Oh, no. And thankfully, Wait, did you ever find out? Wait, you don't know if it was him or not? It was him. It was him. Okay. But okay. I was panicked and I was like, well, worst case scenario is I'm just yelling David and then I just keep walking and crazier things happen <laughs> yeah, in San Francisco. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I was in a bank when this first started and someone came up to me and said, oh, hi, Tiffany. I'm like, oh, hi. Wear masks. I literally was like, I don't know who that was. Did he, did he, maybe he thought I was another black person. Like, who is this person? And I think maybe about two hours later, I'm like, I think that was so-and-so, my old professor. Well, no, but I no. still don't know to this day because of masks. I could have said, I don't recognize you. What's your name? But no. I was too thrown off to even be able to say that in the moment. <laughs> it's a, awkward. This world is an awkward world. Yeah. Yeah. To say it was already awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe weird is awkward. I don't know if it was the could world be. or if it was just us. Let's be. be. Yeah. Well, Tiffany, we covered a lot of ground. We had mm -hmm. a lot of fun, I think. Yes. And um, uh, to 
to wrap it up, um, just say a little bit more about kind of the work you're doing right now with, with, um, with therapists, what do you have going on? What do you want to tell therapists? And of course, how can they get in touch? Absolutely. Uh, to get in touch, you can go to HeyTiffany.com. And I, we have a fee calculator. Folks can get the fee calculator, HeyTiffany.com forward slash fee calculator. Start there. Uh, I am on a mission to help therapists make money, make bank, women particularly, women of color, queer folks, people who have traditionally been left out. I want you to be rich. And I know you're anxious and I know people are like, ah, oh, but I, I, I want to give back. So you can think about me as your advocate. I'm going to help you get money as you continue to work with your clients. I'm passionate about it. And I think that the more money and the more time that are in the hands of therapists, women, people of color, queer folk particularly, the more the world's going to change. When we were not going to be in this political situation if we had a lot more therapists who understood the value of what they did and made an impact in the world. So that's what I do. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me on the show. Tiffany, thanks again for coming. I look forward to uh, running into you again soon, I hope. And, then, and not recognizing each other and then exactly. walking away. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, your homework is to share your favorite episode with a few therapist friends. Help us grow this show. You can rate and review the show wherever you're listening. And um, uh, of course, check out that free training that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. That's privatepracticeworkshop.com forward slash get clients. Otherwise, as always, take care of yourselves. Keep doing great work out there in the world. And I'll see you real soon. Take care. Bye.